Well, we have been discussing King David's life. And I got to tell you, last week was one of my favorite weeks to preach, was last week. It was a chapter in 2 Samuel that dealt with David bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. And there's a couple of wild incidences that took place while they were moving this ark. The first one that took place is as they were carrying it along on a cart, the ox stumbled and a man by the name of Uzzah went to stabilize the Ark of the Covenant. And in doing so, the Lord's anger was aroused, it says, and Uzzah was struck dead in the spot. And David was upset about Uzzah's death. Like, you know, you and I are probably going along with the Ark. If it was about to fall, this precious, precious, precious relic in the presence of God, we'd want to stable it ourselves. But in doing so, God's anger was aroused and struck Uzzah dead. And so David was really upset about this. Like, man, I'm trying to bring the presence of of God back to the city of Jerusalem. I'm trying to bring the ark back into the city. And so he just left the ark there at a place, a fellow's name by the name of Obed-Edom and left it there. And he just went on back to Jerusalem, all upset about what took place. And so all of a sudden word comes to David that Obed-Edom's house is being blessed massively. Everything he's doing is being blessed because the ark of the covenant is there. And so David's now faced with a decision. I mean, he loves the Lord. He's a man after God's own heart. And he's seeing this guy over here get blessed. He knows that he wants it back in Jerusalem so that the people of Israel can be blessed. And so he makes a decision to go back and get the ark. But what we looked at last week was David found out or went back to its origins of how the ark was supposed to be carried. And that was the very reason that Uzzah died. It, it was the fact that the oxen should have never stumbled. That ark should have never almost fallen because the children of Israel were never supposed to carry the ark on a cart by oxen. They were supposed to have it on poles on their shoulders. And so it wasn't that God was just randomly mad that somebody touched the ark, even though you couldn't touch the ark. The fact was that they weren't obeying God's instructions. And that's why the situation happened. And we looked at that. We looked at these situation about, you know, where the spirit and the flesh meet. And how many times in life do we try to help God and do things our ways? You know, we're like, oh God, I'm helping you. What do you mean? The ark's falling, I'm helping you. Can you imagine our thought process thinking that we are helping God? The God, the creator of the universe, we're helping him. But that's how we live our lives, we do. How many of you pray for God to come into your situation? How many of you pray for God to bless your business before ever asking him if that's what you should be in the first place? How many ask you to bless a relationship that you know you probably shouldn't have got into in the first place? How many, all, I mean, the list is endless, right? That we think that we can get God to follow us rather than us follow God. And that's what took place in that situation. He went to steady the ark and it's like, yeah, you don't help God. And a matter of fact, you're in this position because you never followed God in the first place. So that's the first thing we looked at. And so Obed-Edom's house gets blessed. David figures and goes back and he puts the ark on the shoulders and he does the proper process to bring the ark back into the city. And as he's entering the city, another situation takes place. David is so excited that the ark of the covenant is back in the city. The presence of God is back in the city that the Bible tells us he takes off his kingly robes and he dances before the Lord with all his might. And his wife is looking from the castle and looking and going... She's upset. She's offended by this. And when David comes home, she says to him, how, like, how dare you, basically my words, but she basically said, how dare you lower yourself like one of the peasants and dance like you're just an ordinary person? 
And David said, when it comes to the Lord, I will become even less undignified than this. And I will do it for the people. And so here we see again where the presence of God in the flesh clash, clash. Here Michael, David's wife, was wondering how David could lower himself with the common people. And that's a real lesson for us. Do we ever look down on somebody else? Because I'm telling you, when we do, that's not through the eyes of God. That's, not, that's through the eyes of the flesh. That's through the eyes of an enemy, through the eyes of the devil. When we look down and think somebody's beneath us or that we're better than somebody else, that's not God. It's not. And a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that we are blessed for one reason, to be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. And it goes back to that first part about trying to help God. God bless me and being all selfish about our prayers when we would get in line with God and try to be blessed so we could be a blessing to everybody around us, things might be different, right? The Bible says he'll give seed to the sower. Seed to the sower. Well, I never have any money to give to charity and different things. I never have any money to give to people. Well, the Bible says he'll give seed to the sower, right? If you're a sower, if you're already generous, God will put it into your hands to release it. The Bible says a generous soul is what? Made rich. A generous soul is made rich. And so we got to do things his way. And we got to do it for the people around us. Our judgment day is not going to be how great we are on this earth. It's not going to be how much money you made. It's not going to be how great in a sport you were. When we go on judgment day, it's going to be what did we build on the foundation of Christ? And what is the foundation of Christ? What is the number one law that we're to walk in this life? To walk in love towards God and towards people. That's how we're judged. That's how we're judged. And God won't line up with anything other than that. He won't. He won't back you on anything other than that. That's his will. That's his purpose. And so we saw two collisions of the Spirit of God versus the flesh. And so David ends up in Jerusalem. He ends up king over all Israel. The presence of God is now back in Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant is back in Jerusalem. And David now wants to build, I'm just going to give you a little story to where we're going here. David now wants to build a temple for the Lord. But God doesn't want David to build the temple. Matter of fact, he went to him. He says, the whole time I've been with you, did I ever live in a building that was made by men's hands? I never did. Now we know when we're going to look at the next generation when Solomon builds the temple, but David was not to build the temple. God had already shown himself to David. And so David wants to build a temple. God says, no, not you but I'll let your son build it. But for you, your enemies are going to come against you. You will conquer them and I will give you rest. And so the next thing we see in David's life, the Ark of the Covenant comes back into the Jerusalem. The presence of God is there. Enemies attack him. He conquers the enemies that come against him and David gets some rest. Finally, after all this running, he gets some rest in his life. Now, as soon as this happens, the Bible switches in 2 Samuel chapter 9 to this really weird story. It's like, okay, now he's conquered the enemies and he's at rest and all of a sudden it just flips and this person comes in to the Bible that's only been mentioned once before. And the story comes to play and we're gonna look at this story today because it's a really cool story. God never goes too long in the old covenant before he injects a scarlet thread is what you know scholars will call it or, or it's where the gospel is shown. 
all throughout the Old Testament where Jesus is shown and the grace of God is shown. And all of a sudden, he's at rest and the story flashes in 2 Samuel chapter 9 and we're going to read it. It says this, Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now if you remember where we started in the beginning, Jonathan was David's best friend, but he was King Saul's son. Saul wanted to kill David because he wanted his son to be king. But Jonathan was a good friend of David's and was siding with David's and actually got him out of the city before he died. And so David now is wanting to bless the house of Saul for Jonathan's sake. David and Jonathan, during that time of friendship, the Bible tells us that they made a covenant with each other. And here we're going to see the power of God's covenant again. We're going to see the power of the gospel. We're going to see the power of covenant when God is involved. And so it says, is there anybody that I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, are you Ziba? He said, at your service. Then the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, which is his name, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, here's your servant. So David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, what is your servant that I should look upon such as a dead dog as I am? And the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's sons may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son shall eat bread at my table always. So here David is at rest and all of a sudden this really wild story comes in that you really don't hear much about again after this, but it's just one of those moments where God is showing covenant and he's showing scarlet thread and he's showing grace and he's showing how he really works. That Jesus is always in the old covenant. And so David is back in the kingdom resting and he remembers Jonathan and he wants to bless the house of Saul through Jonathan. And so he asks for this guy, is there anybody, ask the servant, is there anybody that I can bless, that I can take care of? And Ziba says, yes, there's this man by the name of Mephibosheth. He'd actually fallen when he was young and he'd broke his legs and he is lame. He can't, he's, he's lame. And David says, send for him. And right now God is painting a picture in the middle of David's kingdom of the future of how we're going to operate. And we are the Mephibosheths of the world. We're the ones that are lame. We're the ones that don't belong in the kingdom. We're the ones that hung out with people we shouldn't have hung out with, did things against God we should have never done, and all of a sudden we're ushered into the presence of the king. Ushered into the presence of the king. And Mephibosheth, who is a symbol of us, walks in and he falls at the face of the king. And the king starts to talk to him. He says, why, why are you blessing me? Why are you blessing such a dirty dog as I am? I don't deserve anything. And David doesn't even respond to his comment. He just says to the servant, 
This is what belongs to you. This is what belongs to you through Mephibosheth because of Jonathan. You can work the land. You can be prosperous. And Mephibosheth, he's going to sit at my table just as one of my sons. He's going to sit at the table. And it is a story for us that we get called as lame. We get called as beat up. And God ushers us into the presence of himself for whose sake? For Jesus' sake. And when we get there, our natural reaction should be, why on earth? I don't deserve this. But you know, God doesn't say you're right. Even though we are right by saying that, he doesn't even listen to you because we're not getting the point. It's like when we pray, oh God, oh God, I don't deserve to pray, but we think we're being humble, but God's not even listening to that. It's false humility. You know why? Because you're not there because of you. Mephibosheth wasn't there because of himself. He was lame. He was there because of Jonathan. And David's covenant with Jonathan allowed Mephibosheth to stand there. And so he didn't even answer the foolishness that Mephibosheth was talking about because if he truly would have answered, he would probably would have said, this isn't because of you. I loved your dad. I have a covenant with your dad. And that's how God is with us. When we go to him, when we boldly come to the throne room of grace and we try to act in this false humility, he doesn't even listen to us because we're not there because of ourselves. We're there because of Jesus. And God has already said, I've given you all this to prosper and you get to sit at my table as one of my sons. Not because of how good we are, but because of how good Jesus is. And so when we go in this false humility and say, God, I know you probably don't even want to talk to me and I don't deserve to be here. I know you hear me say this a lot, but we're really slapping the cross in the face. Because if the cross was good enough truly to take our sins as far as the east is from the west, and truly to bury them in a sea of forgetfulness, and that he truly has made us righteousness, and righteousness is now a gift. By us acting that way, we truly don't believe what Jesus did. And if we truly believed what Jesus did, we would stand before him in boldness based on Jesus' work. And God's covenant with Jesus would give us the boldness. And it would also help us to be good to other people. Because we know that God looks at the other Christians just like he looks at us, and if we're messing with one of them, we're messing with one of his kids. There's another story that's so remarkably the same in the New Testament when Jesus talks about the prodigal son. In Luke 15, 11 through 24, it says this. Then he said, Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and wasted his possessions on prodigal living. Wine, women, and booze. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. 
And he arose and came to his father. But when his father was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer to be called your son. I am just a dead dog, just like Mephibosheth. But the father, same thing, didn't answer him, didn't listen to him. Again, just like David said to the servant, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. It's almost the same story. The son comes back, he's beat up, falls at his father, say, listen, I'm not worthy to be here. His father doesn't even answer him, sends the servant for the fatted calf and embraces him in once again at his table, at his table. And that is the love of God for us. Not based on our works, but based on our position. Now the story goes on, and you know, you've heard me talk about this before, but I can never read the prodigal son without reading the prodigal son's brother. Because a lot of us fall into that category. A lot of us, you know, well, it's probably about a half and half. Some of us feel that we're not worthy to talk to God. And then the other half feel that somebody else isn't worthy to talk to God. And so the older brother's the snot. And he says this, now the older son was in the field and he came and drew near the house. He heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. And the brother celebrated. No, he didn't. He was angry and would not go in. There his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you and I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. Wow, wow, wow. Why not me, God? But as soon as the son of yours came, who devoured your livelihood with the harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is such an amazing story. I don't think we can get enough of. The prodigal comes back. He doesn't feel he's worthy. And the father says, I embrace you again. The other son says he doesn't deserve anything. And I think maybe there's a bit of both sons in all of us. Some of the times we don't feel worthy. And other times we feel like we're mad that other people get something that we don't, or someone else's life is better, or how can someone live like that? And it's the same thing that we talked about the other day about all three different people being paid the same throughout the day. And the reason why they got in such a funk is rather than looking at God blessing someone else, they were looking at themselves like they didn't get enough. But when you're with God, you have everything. We belong to him. And for us to think that somebody else shouldn't partake, it is putrid in the nostrils of God because it elevates us above somebody else and we're not above anybody else. A matter of fact, we said it for the last several weeks and it just keeps showing up in David's stories and David's life. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? Jesus says the greatest servant who serves the most on this earth is the greatest in the kingdom of God, who lifts the most people up, who washes the most feet, who takes from their own and gives to somebody else. This life is short, folks. It's very short. I mean, just even looking in the world like we have today, even 
I'm seeing it all over the place. Famous personalities are getting scared of the situation we're in right now. And whether we go tomorrow or whether it's another thousand years, events like this make us realize how short life is and it could be over just like that. Just like that. Whether the whole thing wraps up or whether somebody takes their last breath, when that is over, that is it for eternity. That is it. And the Bible tells us we stand before God in judgment. Not the white throne judgment, not the one that, you know, you're going to have your sins weighed out and judged. Not that one. Believers enter the kingdom of God, no matter what. But the Bible tells us as we enter, we are tested with fire. And it says that anything is built on the foundation of Christ. Anything is built on the fact on how we built on Christ and loved our brothers and sisters and lifted them up above ourselves will be refined and last for eternity. But anything we've built selfishly, or we've pulled away from somebody else, what somebody else made God wants them to have. The Bible says it's wooden stubble and it's gone the moment we pass through. This short period of time, it comes down to how do we raise our brother up? I listened to this, I'm going to end with that, but I listened to this prophet several years ago and, and, and I'm not much into following this kind of stuff, but it was kind of a cool situation. He had had a dream and he, he, all of a sudden he was standing before judgment day and there was this big fire and there was a conveyor belt and all these people, Christians were standing on the conveyor belt. And the only question that they got asked before they walked through the fire was, did you love? They would go through the fire. Did you love? Go through the fire. Did you love? Go through the fire. It's so short time, folks. And you need to commit to yourself today that you are not going to give that up for any devil or any person. That you have been called to love your brother on this earth. To lift them up. To put people ahead of ourselves. And that's the most important thing that we can do. It truly is. And in the process of that, we still get to eat at the table. The more we give away in the kingdom of God, the great thing about it is what? The liberal soul is what? made rich. You lift your brother up, boom, you get more. And honestly, I've tried to live my life the last several years the best of my ability to do that. And I know I got a lot of change in the go still because this is an area that God just keeps chiseling and chiseling and chiseling and chiseling and chiseling. Whatever you're doing in life, you've got to line up. How am I going to help my brother? How am I going to help my fellow man? Whether it's work, school, whatever it is, don't be thinking about how much money you can make and how this, how can I be blessed to be a blessing? How do I fit into that? And when you find that, that's the best road anyways. The Bible says the path of the righteous drip with abundance. Amen? Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love. I thank you that you're continually changing us and chiseling us and molding us to be the people that you want us to be. God, may it be always in the forefront that we are to treat our brother, above ourselves. In the name of Jesus, amen.